0: Your presence would just inhabit the surgery room, Lord. That your healing would be given out, God. That your restoration of her body would be given out, Lord. Because you love your daughter, Lord. God, we ask for your grace and your presence and your power in that moment on the 26th. Be in the room, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, kids, you are dismissed. Your time of study this morning. Today we're talking about sin, an appropriate topic given the horde of sinners before me today. <laughs> so I thought I'd just go and scare you first and then we'll, it'll get nicer. I'm just kidding. Um, we're talking about sin, we're talking about the forgiveness of sins, which We've sung about and recited, and, um, and you know through the creed this fall. Um, I love I love that this line made it in there. Uh, in some ways, me and Scott were talking about you know why is it that it it didn't come in the Jesus section of the creed? Why did the forgiveness of sins come later? And and I, I think it's beautiful that it actually follows the identity of the church that Pastor Bart's been preaching on the past few weeks because it's the church that is the messenger of forgiveness. In Christ to the world, and by the way, if you missed the last two weeks from Pastor Bart on the importance of the church, I encourage you to check it out. Those were phenomenal, phenomenal sermons. Um, a few weeks, or sorry, about a month, a year and a half ago, I was driving through Bluff Park where Jordan and I live, and I was driving past this church, and I saw the sign out front of the church, and the sign said, "Sin is bad, God is good. Details inside." I thought, okay. And I couldn't help but think, what world are you living in that you think the people driving past your church think they're sinners? You know, until more modern times, um, it was generally accepted that there was a such thing as sin. Um, Of course, different civilizations had ideas about what constituted right and wrong, good and evil, but the general categories of sin and personal guilt were woven into the fabric of societies. The Apostle Paul, for example, you know, knew this. So the ancient peoples understood the concept of um, an offended God, offended by the actions of people. They understood the idea of uh, temple sacrifices, atonement. They understood the idea of the intercessory role of a priest for you. So when the Apostle Paul, for example, came to a new city to preach the gospel, he didn't have to convince anyone of the concept of an angry uh, God. They knew all about angry gods and goddesses. In fact, a lot of people in the ancient world lived in constant fear that they had offended the goddess of the harvest, which is why they had such a poor crop that year. Or if they were going to go on a sea voyage, they might make a sacrifice to the god of the sea in hopes of safe travels and that kind of thing. Um, And so what the Apostle Paul and the early Christians labored to do was declare the identity of the one true God whom humanity had offended by their sins. The one God whose forgiveness they all and we all so desperately need. Jesus' ministry, on the other hand, was a little different because Jesus was ministering in a Jewish society that not only believed in sin, They actually agreed with God's standard of sin and righteousness, as found in the law of God. Jesus never had to convince anybody that they were a sinner. Maybe they didn't understand the depths of their sin, but when he said, the one that's without sin cast the first stone, all those good Jews let their stones fall to the ground. They knew they were sinners. This is not the world you and I live in. In case you didn't know, a lot has changed. You know, a lot of modern psychology in the past century has told us that um, this, the whole idea of, of personal guilt has, has been analyzed and diagnosed as nothing more than social anxiety. It's all it is. You didn't, you didn't break some eternal divine law. You feel bad about what you did against that person or those people because you feel like if they found out what you really did or who you really are, they wouldn't accept you anymore. They wouldn't love you anymore. They'd reject you, which is why Sigmund Freud famously said, guilt is nothing more than the fear of loss of love. I couldn't disagree more. Guilt can be and should be, often is, a recognition of actual wrongdoing. That I brought more pain into the world through my actions, through my words, things I left undone. I did that. And a sense of grief over what you've done can be, and often is, very appropriate. And yet it's to this present society that increasingly doesn't believe in sin that you and I as carriers of the gospel are called upon to declare an ancient message. We need a priest. We need atonement for sin. We need forgiveness. And we need this forgiveness from a particular God the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity. Turn with me to Psalm 130 this morning. I, um, as I was thinking through this message, I pretty quickly decided I want to preach from an Old Testament passage and let that guide our time together. And the reason why is because I think there's kind of an idea among some Christians that it was only in the New Testament that God became a forgiver. Um, but if you read the Old Testament, God's forgiving all over the place. <laughs> In the Old Testament. So Psalm 130, if we can get this up on the screen, says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Amen. Let's talk about sin, and let's get some definitions on the table before we continue. So what is sin? How many of y'all want it super simple? Let's start out super simple. All wrongdoing is sin. First John 5, 17. Um, so anything that is wrong that you could do or say, uh, that is sin. But pretty quickly, you should, be, you should ask, well, how do we know what's right and what's wrong? Right? And First um, John three four might be helpful here. Sin is lawlessness. Okay, so there's some law by which we understand right and wrong. Um, and whose law is this? It's God's law. Yeah, it's God's law. So God's so sin then ultimately is a breach or a deviation from God's law. That's sin. Um, And there's certain terms, there's several key terms in the Bible that talk about the way humanity has deviated from God's law. And I want to look at some of these as we talk about sin today. First is the word typically translated sin. Um, In the Old Testament, it's kata. In the New Testament, it's hamartia. And both these words um, mean about the same thing. They mean to miss. They mean to fail. Uh, Hamartia was an archery term. And so, sin um, is a missing of the bullseye. The bullseye is God's standard, uh, the goal, what we're aiming at. And we fail to reach that. And as we do, um, because we're talking about a moral law, uh, sin is a moral failure. That's what sin is. Anyway, we fail to keep God's moral law. We miss it. Um, another term in the Bible for this is transgression, which sounds like a super archaic word, like really King James Bible, I know. But transgression uh, in the Old Testament comes from the word pesha, which basically has the idea of a violation of trust. That's what transgression is. So maybe there is a covenant between two people, and if you transgress the covenant, you've broken your end of uh, the covenant. That's why uh, transgression is often associated with words like treachery, and betrayal, and falsehood. And of course, we have been treacherous. We've betrayed the trust of God in keeping his covenant. That's who we are as transgressors. And the other key term is the word iniquity. Um, The Hebrew avon, which has to do with the idea of being bent. That's what this word, that's the image this word kind of conjures up, is being bent or being crooked, not being straight. And our iniquities um, account for so much of the pain in the world. So much of the suffering in the world are corrupt and crooked choices and actions. And in the Bible, punishing people is often uh, called, is often said in the terms of visiting someone's iniquity on them. So when you visit someone's iniquity on them, they're basically reaping what they sowed. They're getting the consequences for their actions. And so they, they, were, uh, they were iniquitous, and then you visit that iniquity back on them, which is in a fallen world, guys, accounts for the cycle of hatred and violence and pain that we're caught up in, right? Because as people um, commit iniquity, it's then visited back on them. And so the only way out from the, the cycle of death and violence and hatred is forgiveness, which is why powerfully in, in, the, in the Old Testament, forgiveness is often talked about as carrying avon. So rather than visiting it back on them, you're carrying it away. And the cycle of brokenness and pain is ended. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus in Isaiah 53. He said he was pierced. Um, I don't think I have that slide, but he says he was um, pierced for our transgressions, our treachery and betrayal against God, our broken trust. He was crushed for our iniquities, our corrupt deeds. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity or the guilt of us all. And he bore the sin of many, the moral failings of many. It's all redeemed in Jesus there. I want to do this for a second. Raise your hand if you were raised as a child by at least one Christian parent or at least one Christian primary caretaker. Raise your hand if, as a child. Okay, so the, the great majority of the people in this room. I was taught about sin by my parents, and by the Christian communities that I was raised in, including this Christian community, and Jordan and I are going to teach Adeline about sin as well. Um, and from a very young age, I just accepted that I was a sinner, without question. I don't think I ever had, like, a dilemma, like, over this. I just kind of, yeah, sounds great, Mom. I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I, I get it. The vast majority of the people in this room essentially adopted the idea that they're sinners because of the influence of Christian parents and the Christian communities they've grown up in. This is increasingly not the story of the people outside the walls of this church. The sign, sin is bad, God is good, details inside. It almost assumes like the people driving past our churches are Are grief stricken over their sin and hopeful they can get God's forgiveness over it. And that's just not the case. It's just not the case. As secular ideals are taking stronger hold um, in our society in America, more and more people don't even believe in sin, much less it being something they need some God to forgive them of, right? Now, understand this when we say people don't believe in sin, we're not saying people don't believe in right or wrong, we're not saying people don't believe in morality. Today, most people believe in morality. They just don't believe that a book from ancient Israel defines that morality for them. And why should they? Unless God encounters them with his presence and with the power of the gospel through our witness, right? In the same sense that if, you had no, if we had no exposure to Christianity, why, why if someone said an ancient book from Africa tells you what right and wrong is, you'd be like, okay. Right. I mean, think that we need to think in those terms. That's how they experience our truth claims. They need the power of the Holy Spirit to touch them, their eyes to be awakened to the truth of the gospel. Otherwise, why should they? Right. Um, you know, so, sometimes I get discouraged when I think about these things. <laughs> Can I put us in to a little bit of despair for a moment here? Um, hopefully, I'll, I'll pull us back up. But. Um, you know, Paul and Jesus were ministering in very different societies than we are that believed in the need for God's forgiveness or at least uh, the concept of offending a god or goddess by your actions. You didn't have to convince anyone of that. They were on board already. Um, modern secularism that we are experiencing poses new challenges for gospel proclamation for which there isn't a direct correspondence in Scripture. And I think it's okay to admit that. Now, I'm not saying Scripture doesn't speak to our situation. It absolutely does speak to our situation. But we can be honest about the fact that the setting we are experiencing is not the setting that Paul and Jesus were ministering in, where people accepted, generally accepted sin and offending gods and that kind of thing, right? Um, so what can we do? How can you and I get people to see that they're sinners and need a savior? How can you and I make people see that they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Guys, these are entirely the wrong questions. Whose job is it to convict people of sin? Can I get an amen? It's not your job. Um, that should be really good news right now. It is the Holy Spirit's job. Jesus said in John 16, 8, And when he, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, Charles Spurgeon, a a great preacher in England in the 18th century, was walking through a sanctuary that had just been built for the church. He was pastoring a a new sanctuary, and of course, at that time, they didn't have microphones or speaker systems or anything like that. So the acoustics in the room really mattered at that time, and so he decided to test the acoustics of the room and how sound was going to carry. And he shouted, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world! And the janitor who was in the foyer was overcome with the power of the Holy Spirit, runs in the sanctuary and asks Mr. Spurgeon how he can be saved from his sins. D.L. Moody, the American evangelist of the 19th century, was over in England, actually doing some preaching over there. And he... He won, he, at speaking to a group of people, you know, gave a message on the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, and all 500 people in the room stood up for, to receive Christ. And Moody didn't buy it. He said, I don't buy it. I think you're just standing because of the person next to you is standing. For those of you who are serious, come back tomorrow night. The next night, all 500 people showed back up, feeling the weight of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of Psalm 130 that we read, Out of the depths I cry to you. O Lord, let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy. Mercy, God! Guys, I long to see this in our day. The weight of the Holy Spirit and the conviction over our sin and desperate need for a sinner. It's, It's there. It's not outmoded or outdated. The Holy Spirit is just as powerful today as ever. Because I might like your forgiveness when I wrong you, and you might like my forgiveness when you wrong me. But at the end of the day, if I never forgive you, you can move on with your life. If you never forgive me, you'll carry the burden of that unforgiveness, but you can limp on through life. The forgiveness of God isn't like this. It is before him that humanity stands or falls. Before him, Jesus said it, that it's the Holy Spirit who brings conviction over sin. And Psalm 130 becomes, I think, such a beautiful picture of what happens when we feel it. And that out of the depths, we feel it. And I think you, you have a moment like Psalm 130, three and four, where you say, if, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And the answer is nobody. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, record your iniquities and my iniquities um, are bent and crooked actions in the world. And if there's no way out from that marking, then at the end of the day, nobody would be left standing. But with you, there is forgiveness. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I want to see this in our day and in our time. I want to see people come into this reality. And we can't beat people into this. We can't, nor should we. Even if we could, we can't. Um, It has to be a revelation of the Spirit. I think what we can do is seek to be good and faithful, forgiven servants. Who walk in the fear of the Lord and in the Holy Spirit who brings this work about. Um, that more people who formerly did not know him would declare, but with you, God, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. We all need to make words like Lamentations 2.18 our own. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. God's in the right, I am in the wrong. And I've been the rebel against his command, against his word. That's actually health to your soul. Because it's, do you realize how freeing this is? I mean, if if God freely forgives in Jesus, then confession becomes a joy. Because we can talk about the worst and darkest parts about us before the most powerful being in the universe and live to tell about it. I mean, how much freedom is that? That's why I love the confession that Scott led us in today. By the way, we grabbed that from a woman named Auburn Powell, and we didn't write, we didn't write this, but I love the first, the first line in this confession. Um, Lead us to test and examine our ways and return to you, O God. We confess to you now that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows. The sins, this, this one really hit me. The sins that are a burden to us and the sins that do not bother us because we've gotten used to them. That, that one really struck me. Like All of us want to confess and get freedom from the sins that are a burden to us. Sins that don't even bother us anymore. God, wake us up. P.T. Forsyth um, uh, Christian thinker, about 150 years ago, talked about his escape from more liberal forms of, um, of viewing sin. Now, I'll, I'll paint with, with broad strokes here, but uh, more liberal Christian views of sin are going to emphasize sins in society and um, you know, system, systemic injustice in society and that kind of thing. And will often downplay the weight of personal sin and personal guilt. Um, Kind of broadly speaking, God's more interested in the salvation of societies than the salvation of souls. And on the flip side, conservative Christians often will emphasize uh, the significance and the weight of personal sin and individual guilt and downplay the reality of societal sin and systemic injustice and social injustice. And so we can learn from each other. Amen? Um, But P.T. Forsyth said this kind of talking about his own escape from um, that and coming into a more biblical view of personal sin. He said, it pleased God by the revelation of his holiness and grace, which the great theologians taught me to find in the Bible, to bring me home to my sin. I love that line, to bring me home to my sin. I was turned from a Christian to a believer, from a lover of love, to an object of grace the prostitute brushed past the scornful glares knelt down and began washing his feet with her tears and hair and ointment and kissed his feet if this man were a prophet he'd know what sort of woman this is who's touching him because she's a sinner Simon, I've got something to say to you, Jesus said. Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two people who owed him money. One owed two years' wages. The other owed two months' wages. When neither could pay, he forgave them both their debts. Which of them do you think will love him more? I suppose the one for whom he forgave the larger debt. You've judged rightly, Jesus said. You see this woman? When I came in, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet with, but she has washed my feet with her tears and hair. When I came in, you didn't give me a a greetings kiss, but she hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. When I came in, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. The one who's forgiven little loves little. As they said among themselves, who is this guy who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If personal sin doesn't matter all that much, then what are we left with? And the answer is Christianity becomes a celebration of love. Of course, Jesus is the prime example to us of love. We're inspired by love. We become lovers of love. But if, in the words of P.T. Forsyth, I am brought home to my sin, then I understand myself to be the object of God's grace in Christ Jesus. And my and your capacity for love will grow. I think we should own this right now. If our love is little, then we are out of touch with the depth of our forgiveness. Have you been brought home to your sin? Are you a lover of love or an object of grace? Are you a lover of love or an object of grace? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Jesus says to this woman, um, he speaks of her saving faith. Your faith has saved you, and then he commissions her to leave with shalom, to go in peace. And I hope she did, because um, sometimes we can receive the forgiveness of God. Thank you, God, for forgiving me, but we struggle to forgive ourselves for things we've done. And by that, I mean we still hold it against ourselves. And I've done this, I've seen this happen just in pastoral ministry, where people, they believe, yeah, I know God's forgiven me, but they live with this crushing regret. Um, Jesus forgave her sins and commissioned her with shalom. You're called to live out in peace with the forgiveness that is yours in him. And I think a lot of that just means really marinating in the forgiveness of Jesus, just living in and drinking in the grace of God, knowing yourself to be this object of God's grace, unmerited favor in him. And as we do that, as we receive that forgiveness for ourselves and begin to live lives free of regret, which is, which is the power of the gospel, by the way, um, we're also called to extend forgiveness to others. And um, I'm going to read you this story by uh, Corey Ten Boone. It's a little, little long, but it's such a powerful picture of extending forgiveness. Um, I think it's worth our time. So Corey Ten Boone, if you don't know, was um, she and her sister Betsy lived in Holland. During the Nazi occupation of Holland, and they hid Jews. And they ended up being discovered and arrested and sent off to a concentration camp. And she tells this story. It was in Munich, in a church, that I saw him a balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement of the room where I had just spoken moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe it's because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Her short ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Now he was in front of me hand thrust out, a fine message, Froline. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among so many thousands of women? But I remembered him, and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face-to-face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook, in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that I stood there. Hand held out before me. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I knew I had to do it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland For victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with my whole heart. As you accept God's forgiveness in your life, you must practice forgiveness towards others. I wish I could say you should but for the Christian forgiveness is not an option. It's a command. Forgive one another as Christ as God in Christ forgave you, Paul said in Ephesians 4:32. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Luke 11:14, Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive how many people? Everyone no exception, who is indebted to us. Let me say this real quick. I know I'm probably going a little long, but let me say this real quick. Forgiveness, it's okay if forgiveness takes some time. There's a difference between forgiveness taking some time and living in a state of bitterness and unforgiveness. I was talking to a friend the other day who um, his wife uh, had a two-and-a-half-year secret affair with one of his friends. And their marriage survived uh, miraculously. And they were able to work through the pain of all that. And he told me, it took me about a year to forgive my wife. And I, I think that that's okay. It's, it's not the case that Well, Jesus said you got to forgive those who, you know, everyone else, and so the next night he had to forgive his wife. I think it's okay for forgiveness to be a process. There's a difference between um, living in a state of bitterness and unforgiveness towards those who've wounded you and being on the journey towards forgiveness. That's the question you need to be asking yourself in your heart as you think about those who've wounded you. Are you on the journey towards forgiving them? Are you seeking to embrace the gospel for yourself as the object of grace that you are so that you can learn to find objects of grace in the world that you can love and extend unmerited, undeserved forgiveness and grace to? Are you on that journey? That's the question. I'm going to call up the worship team. Verse 7 in our passage today says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is is a call to Israel, right? This is a call to the people of God, and we are the new covenant people of God, right? Um, The church, of course, founded on Israel's Messiah, and I, I love this because it's a corporate call to hope. In the Lord, Can we hope in the Lord? I think that uh, too many of us right now in this day and age are hoping alone. Will you hope with me? Can we, can we hope together? And as we do, we are hoping, quote, in the Lord, not just on our own. And we're hoping, I love this verse, in his steadfast love and in his plentiful redemption. The NIV says, Full redemption, that God's about redeeming you and I to the uttermost. How many of you know there's things in us that still need to be redeemed? And God is working that out in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I feel like right now we need to receive a call and I say right now, I mean this season um, of hoping together. I find sometimes I feel like I'm hoping alone right now as I look out at the world, as I look out at a world that doesn't believe in sin. Right? Can we hope together in the Lord's redemption, in the Lord's unfailing love? Can we stand as we go back into a time of worship? The team's gonna um, begin leading us in just a moment. We're gonna take communion together. just to make it super simple for prayer ministry today. Um, if you're just sitting in your seat and you're saying, I, need, I just need prayer. Uh, I just need a, a sense to hope again, to receive this message that I'm an object of grace or for whatever you may need. Just as, as, as the team goes and leads us, um, just raise your hand and let's just have people around you just gather around the hands that you see raised. Just raise your hand um, and if you see a hand around you raised, um, just put your hand on those shoulders. Let's just minister those in our body for a moment.